sometimes you just need a guy to be able to just lean up against and be like, hey man, we're running through this together and we have jokes back and forth and we just rely on each other and we should be able to rely on each other's families as well because the wives, they all know exactly what they're going through too. You know, when, there's a, when their husband is gone for 24 hours, they're going through the same thing as well. So everybody's going through very, very similar circumstances and we understand that life gets in the way sometimes. Maybe death in the family or something's wrong with the house, but we should all be there for each other. I think that family and brotherhood is extremely important for especially what we do and what we go through and what we experience. Excellence is a rarity, but you are not alone. Talk and shop with Outlier Firefighters. Welcome to Talk and Shop with Outlier Firefighters. I am Alex Tanner. I'm here with Ryan Constantino of uh, Shield 23. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about his foundation and uh, whatever else we can get into. Uh, Ryan and I have been kind of in the same area for a while, actually. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we seem to connect and then, like, disconnect. And connect. It's it's the weirdest thing. I, I And... Um, this is going to be pretty cool for, for both of us to talk to each other. So, Ryan, why don't you start off, uh, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are, and uh, go from there. Yeah, so my name is Ryan Constantino. I'm the uh, first vice president of the Shield 23 Foundation, also co-founder. I founded it with my mother, Shannon. Um, I am currently a full-time firefighter for the Wakanda Fire District, and uh, I've kind of hopped around with my career over the last 10 years. I just had my 10-year uh, anniversary starting volunteer, and then uh, working, you know, part-time, then contract, then back to full-time, part-time, and then finally got hired full-time. So, so it's been a process, but um, I've been full-time now for just over three years. So uh, really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And Ryan yeah, is next door to me, as, as hilarious as that is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're literally, our, our two districts meet up together. So Yeah, we used to, we used to work together back in Antioch. We back did. In, 14, 15, around then, right. and uh, and then, uh, yeah, we worked together there, and then it seemed like you said we disconnected for a little bit after I left on a different contract, and then we end up meeting up with each other randomly at the Honor Guard convention. Yeah. I was like, oh, you're here? <laughs> it was just a kind of funny thing, connecting again, and then here we are. Yeah, I, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, we're, we're from Illinois, if you're not from Illinois, which I imagine most people are that are listening now, but... Uh, uh, the AFFI has an honor guard, and uh, Ryan and I were inducted last year, or no, the year before. Yeah, uh, year before. Year before. Uh, mm -hmm. Coincidentally, like he's saying, at the same time. So it's just kind of interesting how those things happen. So, uh, keeping with our kind of intro questions, Ryan. So, uh, what was your first exposure to the fire service? Uh, so my, my first exposure, my my father was a uh, a firefighter paramedic for Gurney for 20 years, um, prior to him passing. So I grew up. Uh, in the fire service, you know, in and out of the firehouse as a kid, uh, you know, my, my dad kept, you know, the fire service portion of it kind of outside. He didn't really tell us about calls or anything like that, but very much included us on the family portion of the fire service. And that was extremely, extremely important to him. Um, you know, Gurney back in, you know, probably the early 2000s, uh, the fire department, that is, was extremely close-knit. We all would go together on a lot of different things. All the kids would hang out together. So um, that was my exposure to the fire service, you know, especially in the beginning. 
um, was, you know, just the family, you know, aspect of it. And that was just great. And that was amazing. And after my dad passed away, you know, that family kind of continued. And, you know, I was, I was like, wow, like there are so many people that went to my dad's funeral and uh, really kind of took care of us after he passed. And he was like, I, I just really want wanted to be part of that. So that's why I joined. I went to the tech campus uh, in high school. Um, you know, I did firefighting my junior year of high school and then I did my EMT license my senior year. Um, and then I actually got hired volunteer on a fire department when I was still 17 years old. So I started my fire service career very, very young, uh, thankfully, because, you know, I had that exposure with with my dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know if you know this either. And I don't think we've ever talked about my dad also started in Gurney as a POC. Yep. And my yep. uncle, my uncle was one of the original full timers. Mm-hmm. Uh, who retired? He retired a couple, well, more than a couple years ago now. But yeah, another <laughs> yeah. weird connection. Like, yeah, it, it I, is. It's funny how that happens. Uh, so, w- would you say that you said your dad? Uh, he didn't talk about like calls and stuff at home necessarily, but uh, but you did have exposure and you were in the firehouse. Did you learn about like values and culture at a younger age uh, when you were visiting? Do you think that some oh, of that carried absolutely. over into your life? Uh, so my my dad was definitely. Uh, traditional, you know, firefighter. That, that was something that he definitely believed in pride and tradition within the fire service. And that's why he was actually uh, one of the honor guard founders at Gurney. So back in, gosh, that would have been mid nineties. I, I don't even know when that would have been. I know he joined the uh, AFFI honor guard in 99 and um, you know, that pride and ownership and tradition, that, that was stuff that was really ingrained into myself and my sister, um, you know, me joining the fire service. My sister, she actually was a police officer for a short amount of time. Uh, she's in the military currently, and uh, and she's married to a police officer herself. So that sense of, you know, pride and, and duty and honor, um, it, it really resonated with us definitely growing up. No, that's, that's awesome. I, I think that's one of the things I'm kind of finding out is, is a lot of us, whether it was a direct, like, uh, parent or or indirect, right? A cousin, a neighbor. Uh, we a lot of people that get into public safety and public service, I guess, if you will, are exposed to that much younger. And I, I think that those things resonate. Uh, I've been trying to pull it out of my brothers, and I know it's a segue uh, because I have two brothers that aren't in a fire service or in any sort of um, you know uh, public safety or, or or public service. And uh, I was curious what what values they got moving in. And I think they, they kind of did develop like some of the hard work, some of those kinds of things. Right. And, uh, unknowingly just being around the fire station. So, uh, it, it's pretty cool to hear, you know, uh, again, I'm a second gen, you're a second gen. And it's cool to hear that, that those things resonate and you move on to the next thing and you, and you have core values that come from that from when you were a teenager, you don't even realize it. Right. So, um, you said uh, big into tradition, uh, your father was, and, and all those other things. So um, what what are some of, like, the biggest traditional values you think that, that, that he's passed to you that you, you continue uh, believing in and, and having part of you? Well, definitely just, you know, um, what this fire service means and what it means to serve and protect. I, I definitely feel like that's, you know, resonated. You know, I even remember growing up and he, uh, he instilled a lot of 
uh, history, like, you know, I, I'm a huge history, uh, I guess, nerd, I guess you could say. And growing up, we watched all types of stuff like Band of Brothers or even like, you know, you can say like 300 and stuff like that. You know, th that those are the type of things that, you know, really instilled, you know, the pride and, you know, about what you're doing. Make sure that you enjoy what you're doing before, you know, you pick that as a career. And that, that was a lot, it was a big thing for him. And he, I remember I was like 10 years old and he's like, do you, do you want to be a firefighter? And um, he was like, I, I said, I hadn't, I had no idea because uh, you know, there were a lot of other options. You know, I always wanted to be like a scuba diver and, you know, kind of just kind of be outside and do that kind of stuff. And he's like, well, you know, if you do decide to be a firefighter, I'm not going to persuade you either way, but if you do do it, make sure that you give it 120% because, you know, if you don't, then, you know, this job's going to eat you up because there's, there's a lot of stuff that we see and do, um, that other jobs don't have. And, uh, that would, those, that prideful aspect of where you work and, um, you know, how you do your job, uh, definitely aids in the fact of what we see and how dangerous the job is and, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love it. So, uh, that's a little bit about Ryan, his background, and uh, where he comes from, and what he is, and where he's going, right? And uh, we're going to get into talking about Shield 23. The first thing that I'm going to do here, though, I'm going to I'm going to put your website up and pin it in our chat here. So www.shield23foundation.org, right? That's correct. And while I'm doing that, why don't you explain uh, to to the listeners here what it is? Yeah, so the Shield 23 Foundation is a foundation that uh, raises funds for and gives funds to firefighters with cancer. Um, in honor of my uh, late father, Ross Constantino, who passed away in uh, 2009, um, you know, we, we divide our mission statement up into, into three different things. Uh, the first one is awareness, education, and peer support, um, you know, because it's important to, you know, learn a little bit more about it. Because I remember when I first started in the fire service, there was no education about cancer at all. Um, people rarely wash their gear. I don't even think we had an extractor at the first department that I worked at. Um, you know, so this is all relatively new. Even the newest studies that have been coming out, the first study that I read was uh, came out in 2017. So this is all brand new stuff to the fire service. So we would just want to make sure that we, you know, educate everybody and then um, let people know and understand that they're not the first people going through this. And, you know, you know, it gets better. And uh, that's where we allowed kind of that, that, that peer support aspect to uh, come through. And then obviously our second mission is obviously fundraising. We want to make sure that we can raise as much funds for uh, these firefighters and their families, whether, um, you know, it's for travel expenses or making sure that their kids are, you know, having a relatively normal life. Cause that, that was a big thing, you know, in my personal, you know, experience is that I was I was a kid of a firefighter that had cancer before I was the firefighter so that, you know that's that's a big mission that I you know try to you know help out with uh, making sure that the kids are experiencing a relatively normal thing of you know continuing sports or something like that and then the last one is making sure that uh, we're gifting the, the the firefighters that truly need it and helping them out in every way possible yeah I mean an, an incredible mission right and uh absolutely I, I i don't i can't think of any uh other at least especially in our area organizations that exist in the same way that you guys do in terms of the gifting and and uh that whole process i mean it's it's truly incredible so um we're going to talk about 
how many people you help, the numbers and those kinds of things later. But let, let's kind of walk through. So how did you start? How did you guys grow and develop? And uh, I guess, you know, what's what's the story? How did how did Shield 23 come to be? Yeah, so I can't really tell that story without telling the story of, um, you know, about my dad first. Um, you know, he, like I said before, he was a gurney firefighter for roughly 20 years. Um, he started a contract at gurney in 99 and then uh, ended up getting full time in uh, 92, I believe it was, and then uh, was the quartermaster most of the time. And um, at Gurney, you know, this was before any of the cancer studies and stuff like that. Uh, they had a small little room for the quartermaster, for, you know, storing extra gear and stuff like that. And uh, rarely, um, rarely did you clean the gear back then? You know, it was, it was a sense of pride and ownership that, you know, how many fires you went to, how much so you could, you know, really get on your gear. And he was exposed to that on a reg regular basis. You know, a typical firefighter, they only put on their gear a few times, whether they're going on calls or training or whatever. And then it goes either next to the rig or in their, in their locker. Well, my dad, he was, you know, he did a lot of the repairs on the gear himself. He did all that kind of stuff in that tiny little enclosed space. So the gear was off gassing. He was getting all the soot on his hands all the time. Then he would go eat and then he would ingest it. So he was he had a little bit more of an exposure uh, than anybody else. Um, and then he ended up getting uh, coincidentally sick in uh I think it was roughly 2006, he ended up uh, getting brain cancer. Um, and it, it was a pretty aggressive brain cancer. He had uh, brain cancer for three years and um, it affected uh, all different types of stuff. And actually the reason we found out about it was he came home from shift one day and um, I was the only one home. And I think I was, I was nine years old and uh, he had a grand mal seizure at home. So, uh, and he ended up going into status epilepticus, having multiple seizures back to back to back. And he ended up completely uh, forgetting who he was, how to speak, how to walk. And he had to relearn all those different things. So, um, you know, it was it was a tough ride for us. So um, in that process, the Gurney Fire Department really came together and rallied behind us and our family. And um, they they put on this massive fundraiser, um, you know, at Key Lime Cove and they ended up raising you know, thousands of dollars for our family because we uh, lost our dad's, you know, my dad's income. Um, and at the time when you're put on FMLA, your family is actually kicked off of uh, the, the insurance. So then we had to pay for all of our own insurances. So as you can imagine, with medical bills kind of piling up, it, it was quite an expense and then losing, you know, that income as well. So uh, we almost lost our house. And if it wasn't for uh, the Gurney Fire Department coming together and really helping us out, uh, I would I would be in a very, very different uh, set of circumstances. So uh, kind of now I can start talking about how, why we formed the foundation is because of all of that help that we received back in 2018, my mom and I kind of really sat down and we were like, you know what, I think it's, I think it's time to, cause it was about nine years after my dad had passed. And um, we we're like, you know, I think it's time to, you know, start giving back to what the fire service gave us. Um, and we thought that it was just going to be a small little foundation. Like we would only ma maybe raise a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars there. And we would only give it out maybe, once or twice a year. And then we really started to realize once we founded the foundation that the demand was so much higher. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, I think the last, well, not the two 
brothers from Chicago, but the last two honor guard deployments we had were, were cancer-related death. I mean, it's uh, obviously uh, it's a huge issue right now, for, even from uh, you know the, the PFAS and gear. That's becoming another bigger study that that they're they're putting together, and the IFF's trying to do a lot with that. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think every single person in the fire service now knows somebody or is connected to somebody that's had some sort of occupational cancer, right? Yeah, I mean, what's what's crazy is so the, uh, they first started doing these studies. Originally, it was back in like the 1950s, and then they didn't release anything. They were just compiling data for roughly 50 to 60 years. And the first like true study that came out was in 2017 by the IAFF, and um, they were saying that 65% of all the firefighter deaths that have happened in that time frame were cancer related. So we went from thinking cardiac was the number one killer of firefighters to now all of a sudden cardiac seems like it's such a small little you know slice of the pie. It's only it's only like 10% now where we thought uh, cardiac was like 60%. Now we're realizing that cancer is really the killer of firefighters. You know, it's up to that 65%. And if you actually compile the data from just the last few years from you know 2017 till now, they're saying 75% of all firefighters, um, you know, dying in the line of duty are cancer related. And, um, you know, if you go even further into it, uh, last year in 2022, um, 348 of the 469 members that were added to the uh, Honor Guard Memorial in Colorado Springs, 348 of those members were cancer related deaths. So it's it's unbelievable how many firefighters and that, that's only of what we know of and the ones that are documented. I'm sure that there are even more that are undocumented, um, you know, that are out there. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. There probably uh, there are. Uh, so uh, back to, to your foundation and, and, and getting that started. So um, you had a group of friends, your mom, like how, how did you go about? developing, uh, raising money. And then how has that grown, you know, over the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So like I said, when we first started, we thought that, you know, maybe we would just do like a pub crawler to a year and that would just raise enough money, uh, to you know, help out the firefighters, um, that we thought would need it. And, um, we quickly realized, I think our first year, uh, we didn't gift any money out, but then our second year, uh, we gave out $9,000, I want to say. And that was a lot more than that $2,000 that I was originally looking at. I was like, you know what, we're, we're really going to need to start raising some more money. So um, and that was probably the height of COVID at that point, because it was in our second year of the foundation. So then we're scrambling, trying to figure out how to fundraise not in person. So that that was a, a huge um, obstacle to kind of figure out in the very beginning was, you know, during the, you know, shutdown of everything, trying to fundraise because firefighters were in that high risk category uh, of getting COVID and passing away um, if they had cancer. So we were, we had a lot of funds that were going out the door with really no fundraising at the time. So uh, we sell different types of merchandise. We have our, we have our sweatshirts, hats, um, different t-shirts, uh, mugs, shaker bottles, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's what really held us through the uh, majority of that pandemic. Um, you know, people graciously buying those items and helping the firefighters that way. Um, now we actually have a golf outing uh, coming up in on August 4th. The registration should go live in another week or so. Uh, so we're really excited about that. 
And then um, this is going to be our first year of, uh, we're calling it the recog uh, recognition celebration. That'll happen on November 9th of this year. Um, it'll be a big uh, concert as well as uh, raffles. And it'll, it'll be a really, really awesome time. We're really excited for that. Um, so hopefully we raise a lot of money doing that. And then uh, moving forward, we're really excited about potential partnerships and uh, doing some really big things in the future. So um, we'll just we'll leave it at that. But we're really excited for what could be coming next year. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and before we get too far away, I guess uh, if anybody's listening or you know they're live here, uh, what what how can they donate? How can they just go to their, your website? What's the process if they just wanted yeah, to donate? So if they just wanted to donate, they can go to our uh, our website at uh, shield23foundation.org. There's a donate tab at the very top. You can uh, do it that way. Um, if there are any firefighters listening, we actually offer a, a fire service group membership, um, which actually benefits. It's a, it's a huge benefit to us as firefighters. Um, it, we only offer it to fire department groups. Uh, it, unfortunately, at this time, it doesn't uh, help individual firefighters. But um, for $23 a year per firefighter on the roster, um, it's essentially an added insurance uh, policy. Um, you're, you, if you were to get diagnosed with cancer, would gain priority gifting status um, over everybody else. And then um, if, God forbid, you would pass away from cancer, your family would re receive a death benefit on behalf of the Shield 23 Foundation for just $23 a, a year. Well, yeah, uh, please, again, uh, if you're live, check out their website. If you are not live and you're listening later, shield23foundation.org, check them out. And, and, and help support a, a, an amazing cause for sure. So uh, with, with that support, so uh, how much how much have you been able to gift? Where have you been gifting? Uh, wh what reach do you guys have now? Um, so uh, we have gifted or we have anticipated gifting through the end of the year of uh, over or right around $100,000 gifted. Uh, to this point, it's uh, just over $80,000 to firefighters with cancer. And um, as you could probably tell, it's on a scaled from year to year. So we've only been gifting for about four years. But in the last year and a half, we've actually gifted close to $50,000 to firefighters with cancer. So uh, as you could probably tell, we've uh, we've grown pretty quickly over the last few years and being able to do so with our, our different fundraising. And um, so, so far we've gifted to multiple different states. Um, we give priority gifting to the state of Illinois. Um, you know, if, and then if they find us on our website or any other, you know, means of finding us, uh, we've also gifted to Texas, Georgia, Wisconsin, and uh, the state of New York. And uh, so What's the what's the process for for either uh, getting a hold of you guys requesting you know uh, help and then uh, you know how do you guys give the donations how do you how do you give the gifts you know to those that need them Absolutely, that's a great question. So on our website, uh, you can go to request a gifting, um, and it's a step by step process. Um, typically, we ask uh, a liaison to act, um, you know in between the family and us. Uh, we have a gifting committee that um, you know, meets together and kind of talks about uh, the different ranges of money that you could possibly receive depending on your circumstance, whether that's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk in uh, kind of specifics here, but um, 
you know, the Itasca firefighter, Frank Nunez, that passed away earlier this year. Um, we had been helping him out for the past probably year and a half, almost two years prior to his passing. And uh, he had a pretty special circumstance where he had to travel to Texas and Tennessee for his treatments. Um, so as you can probably tell, that can rack up, you know, a significant amount of money. So um, that was all you know, brought to the table when trying to determine how much money to gift somebody, um, whether they deserve more or less, uh, how many kids they have, uh, you know, that that's all factored in into um, into that. Um, so, like I said, uh, we have a liaison that will talk with the gifting committee um, to just to kind of do the the day to day stuff. And we only really ask for uh, two forms, you know, a form that you're currently employed by a firefighter or had to retire due to the treatments. Um, and then the second thing is just a note from your doctor with your diagnosis. That's all That's all we re uh, really need. Well, yeah. Uh, and then uh, you guys, uh, do you, how do you, how do you then present to, to people? Is it um, done through their organization? Is it done through kind of you guys coming out? Um, how, how? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, we have, uh, really prided our, ourselves on doing every single gifting in person. So on those out-of-state giftings, we've always sent a representative out, whether it's the president or myself, um, who's my mom, by the way, the president's my mom. <laughs> we would uh, fly out uh, to that state or wherever it is in Illinois. We've traveled down to the, the very southern tip of Illinois. Um, we've, we've traveled up to Wisconsin. So uh, we've traveled kind of all over the place to make sure that we're doing these gifts in person because not only is do we care about the monetary value of the giftings, but we want to make sure that they they are doing okay emotionally as well. And uh, you know, it's always good to talk to them and see how they're doing, and you know, put a face behind you know things. I'm I'm not a big fan of just sending a check because anybody can just send a check. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, right. I think that's that we're firefighters. Uh, I mean, that, that's what we do. We're personal. We 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 have a family connection, right? That's, that's the fire service. I, I commend that. I mean, that's, that's an incredible way to do that. And that's a, that's a pretty big undertaking too, for you guys to come out and, and personally do that. And, uh, uh, those, those things have value. Those, those little details, right. About making a mm -hmm. personal connection. There's, there's so much involved with those things, but it really resonates. I think that much more. So, um, uh, Talk about like your board. Who, so everybody that's within your Shield 23 in your organization, you know, what are the backgrounds? Where do they come from? Uh, you know, how how did you guys find each other? Because you started with family, but then you you grew that out. Absolutely. So uh, the president's my mom. Uh, you know, uh, she was obviously you know married to my father, high school sweethearts. Um, my, my father passed away when he was 46. I was 14. My sister was 10. So she really had a lot to deal with. And she understands, you know, being the spouse of a firefighter with cancer and then also being the mother of a firefighter. She, she just understands a lot. Um, I'm the first vice president. Uh, I'm a firefighter myself, like we talked about before. Uh, my sister, she is the second vice president. Uh, she was a police officer. Uh, she is currently a, um, a, uh, uh, gosh, I can't think of it right now. Just uh, under a lawyer, uh, a oh, paralegal. Yes. So she's a she's a paralegal at this time, and she's actually married to a uh, police officer herself. Um, our first director, um, she is a firefighter for Itasca Fire Protection District. Um, her husband actually passed away from cancer. He was a Rosemont firefighter. 
Um, and then uh, she also is on the same department that Frank Nunez was on. So uh, she knows firsthand what it's like to, you know, deal with cancer within the fire service. She's now dealt with it twice, unfortunately. Um, and then uh, our second director, her name's Tracy. Uh, she has, uh, you know, a large uh, background in uh, restaurants and kind of fundraising and stuff like that. Uh, and then our treasurer, he was actually on the pension board. He's a, a retired gurney battalion chief, uh, John Skillman. Uh, he uh, was on the pension board and actually helped grant uh, my father's pension uh, to my mother. So he fought de many different ways, um, you know, because cancer in the fire service was really not known back then. And he was able to kind of connect the dots and do a lot of research back then. So uh, we really owe him a lot. And then his wife is also on the board. Uh, she is a uh, nurse practitioner. Um, so she has, uh, you know, extensive knowledge within the healthcare community. Wow, that's a well-rounded I mean, group uh, from all sorts of different backgrounds. That's that's pretty awesome uh, that you guys kind of all found each other in that way. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah, it's, it, our, our board is amazing. We, we really do a lot of work, um, and it's completely volunteer. And uh, these guys really come together, and uh, we ask we, we ask a lot from them. So it's it's impressive to see the work that we're all able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and so. Uh, from that, you guys, um, you're continuing to grow. You're continuing to, to expand into other areas, and, and um, you've got fundraisers and all these new things happening, and, and it's really incredible, and the growth that's coming from you guys. I mean, in 2018, you started, and, uh, I mean, it, it, it's truly remarkable how quick you guys have grown and and i mean how could you not right with the message that you guys are bringing with the help that you're bringing the support it's all wonderful things so uh, we were talking before we went live and i i really i want you, i just i want you to share the story of your mother i really uh what we were talking about before i i, I i'll say a little and then please you know elaborate because She's Absolutely. Your mom. She's not my mom. But um, <laughs> when we got when we got sworn in for the Otter Guard, she got up and spoke. And uh, I just I, it totally resonated with me that the 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 trauma that your mom has gone through and she's still connected to the fire service and she's still uh, keeping with that mission of helping people uh, as as uh, for everything that she had gone through and, and you know, uh, elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, so uh, my mom and dad, they were high school sweethearts. They met in high school, dated. Um, she actually, she's uh, a certified uh, therapist. So she, um, you know, she's, she specializes in trauma, PTSD, um, and family services. So she helps counsel and do therapy and stuff like that. But um, I, it's, it's unbelievable what she's been able to do with you know us as kids so i guess we could backtrack a little bit my uh my dad gets diagnosed at 42 43 years old and she's only 41 years old and she doesn't really know what's next you know he ends up passing away three years later she has a, a 14 year old and a 10 year old at home now that she she has to work full time she has to you know take care of both of us now doing both jobs as mom and dad and then um you know also while dealing with the grief you know, all on her own. And she, she was a rock star. She never really, you know, showed any of that. She 
she handled everything amazingly. And then um, I guess we could talk about it, uh, you know, a little bit later, but I joined the fire service and then um, I am on a call and I end up getting hurt and, you know, I'm innovated for 24 hours and she has to then go through it all over again. And uh, she has to deal with the potential of losing a son, losing, you know, a husband. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward to, you know, the foundation as well. You know, she has to kind of almost relive the trauma of my dad's cancer with everybody that she sees. And, um, you know, it can be really hard, but she turns it, she flips a switch and she uses that almost like grief and everything to help as many people as possible. And believe me, she, if she was a firefighter, she'd kick in doors and really, she does an amazing job. She, it's, it's unbelievable. She is the biggest pusher and mover within the foundation. She gets things done. Yeah. You you said she's a tank. I mean, she is. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Most people would, and and it's okay, but most people would turn away and not want to be connected anymore after such, you know, traumatic things happening. And and she's right in there. And and that Mm -hmm. really, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Uh, And, and your mom needs to be commended for, for what she's, what she's doing and what she's part of and what you guys are doing Uh, uh, from what your family went through. I can't even imagine. I I really can't. I I know uh, there's been a couple, you know, recent, uh, you know, deaths from cancer shortly after retirement in our area. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think the same thing about my dad, like there's, and he's gone and done, I think there's that blood test and we could talk about ways to protect yourself and scan mm-hmm. in a minute, but mm-hmm. like he's tried to go through those things and keep a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, so, some of those that. statistics are, are insane. Uh, so we've helped out 30 firefighters uh, within the state of Illinois. And like I said, uh, you know, around the United States and unfortunately seven of those firefighters have passed, you know, that's, that's almost 25% of the people that we've helped. That's not even, um, you know, the firefighters that we didn't know about in our area or, you know, don't necessarily want to accept help because we, we always run into firefighters that, you know, th- it's just part of the job. You know, it's it's one of those things that you accept. You accept potentially falling through a floor or breaking a leg or, you know, getting hurt on the job, something like that. But you, you don't really expect to get cancer and pass away. You know, it's one of those slow things that you don't necessarily think about. So it's, it's sometimes it could be hard to convince those firefighters that, Hey, you can kind of accept help from your family here because we're we're all you know here doing and helping each other out. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, seven firefighters in the last you know few years. It's it's been tough on us all. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it it's such a shock to the system, and like you said, it's everywhere, and and it's happening everywhere, but it still hits mm-hmm. us that much harder uh, because. And, and the youngest the youngest firefighter being thirty four years old that passed away. Yeah, I wow. I mean that's. Man, <laughs> I mean, I just turned 33, so yeah. I mean that's right there. Uh, I, what I what I want to do so so Ryan is is a pro man. He's got notes. He's got stats for you guys, and and I really I I have no way to casually segue into those stats other than just like share share them. You know, share the information that that you you've got, and, and you know, help bring awareness to some of those things, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could start off with, you know, our foundation's kind of statistics. Uh, like I said, we, we've helped out uh, 30 different firefighters, uh, majority of those being in the state of Illinois. I'd probably say 26 or 25 of those being in the state of Illinois, relatively close, uh, Lake Cook, Kendall, McHenry County. Um, and then we've also ventured out to, you know, some other um, counties, very you know southern uh, counties of the state. Um, you know, seven of those firefighters have passed away, like we said. Uh, the youngest passed at 34. Our youngest firefighter that we've gifted that was diagnosed with cancer, 25 years old. Um, so you know, it can kind of hit really at any age. You know, we're we're di- we're, we're exposed to all different types of carcinogens within you know our uh, within our job, and um, you, you you touched on the, the PFAS uh, before the PFASs um, that are in our turnout gear. But realistically, those are kind of in everything. They're in you know your table that you're sitting at on your phone on your laptop, and they're actually kind of harmless until they get heated up. And once they're once they're heated up, that's when they start off gassing, and um, you know that's when it can be absorbed into your skin. And you know you start talking about the superhighways of the blood vessels within your body. Um, the most exposed areas that you have are your wrists, which all that's there to cover your wrists is the gauntlets of your turnout gear. And most guys don't even put on their gauntlets; they just throw their gloves on. Um, this, you know, then you got your neck. Um, which the only thing protecting your neck is a thin piece of Nomex from your hood. And then your your another area that's a super highway is uh, your groin area. And whenever your turnout coat kind of flaps up, that can all be absorbed into your groin. And, you know, those are your major blood vessels in your body that kind of transport all those carcinogens to the rest of your body. I, I saw something the other day and, it, and I just, I changed and I'm always looking to make sure that I'm comfortable changing things. So, uh, unrelated to cancer, I changed the way I masked up a couple years ago. I bought into buy or doing with gloves on and it's been awesome and I'll never look back. I'm going to do it forever now. And I've gotten much better at it. But one of the things I saw and it was talking, you know, uh, for us, we testicular cancer, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're talking about your groin, uh, and, um, it's higher and I don't know the numbers. I'm ignorant to it, however, but you're, you're at a higher risk as obviously as a firefighter. And, uh, I've, for my whole career, so I'm 13 years, con- or sorry, 13 years volunteer up to, to uh, full-time now, and day one of the academy, I put my Nomex hood in between my legs, on my, mm-hmm. my turnout coat, and that's how I've dressed up the entire time, and... Well, that's what they ingrain in you, because right? I, I, I went to uh, NIPSTA for my academy, that's how they purposely have you fold everything in a specific way very much like boot camp and that's where they want you to put it every single time because it's neat very easy to carry you know stuff like that so all those things are kind of ingrained in you when you're young and then you just kind of do it the rest of your career so um exactly what you're saying you know you shouldn't be putting your nomex you know in your groin area because it's like i said it's right this that's super highway and um actually uh speaking of uh so women are actually at a way higher increase of cancer than are you know us as men just because of the structure of their body they have a lot more fatty tissues and you know their breasts and um everywhere else so they're actually uh between the ages of 40 and 50 they have a six time higher uh, breast cancer rate than the national average six times. That was an insane stat to me that I saw. That is wow. And and uh, or I was I was saying with with the my my turnout coat. I'm sorry with my uh, with my hood right. Uh, 
I, I have a lieutenant who uh, he does our turnout gear, and he's very much into researching and cancer prevention, and he's he's pretty forward thinking about a lot of those things. So he'll hang his coat on the handrail, right, and he'll put his Nomex and hang that on his coat on the outside, and that's part of his mask up. I was scrolling through Facebook the other day and, and saw another alternative to that where you would put your Nomex in your boot hmm. so it's not over the fabric of your groin and that that's kind of like the transition that I'm going to now and I've made that change to try to help uh, do those things so there's there's uh, we'll talk about big things you can do but there's also little things I think that you can mm-hmm. do to, to just kind of change the way you think about uh, stuff and, and, and preventing things like you said you're taught something and then for 20 something years you do it the same way well if you could have caught in the middle of that and changed you know and spared yourself another 15 to 20 years of doing something maybe that isn't beneficial to you. That's a good thing to do and think about. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely creatures of habit within the fire service. (laughs) I I know some, you know, talking about Nomex hoods, I know some departments out there, they actually are, um, given three sets of hoods and then they, and they're all different colors and, um, the different colors represent the week that they're supposed to be wearing it. So, you know, you know, the first week is red, the second week is black, the third week is white or something like that. And uh, they're told to rotate those hoods and make sure that they wash them. And if it's if they don't see the red hood, you know, or whatever on your gear that day, then you know that you're not compliant or something like that. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is, but that, that was what in the video that I saw that, you know, they're rotating their, their gear and, you know, and preventing what you could have an exposure. Yeah. Wise. Uh, we do three hoods and ours are particulate blocking. And, oh, uh, very nice. Yeah. yeah, the particular ones are really nice. Yeah, there, there was a learning curve, and, you know, firemen complain about everything. But, like, uh, there was a little bit of uh, difficulty, I think, for some people hearing through them because they were thick mm-hmm. or something. I, I didn't buy into that. I, I really felt like I could hear just fine. There's a little bit of, like, a crinkly to it because yeah. of that layer. Uh, but really, like, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 you can't really tell the difference. But we do the three, so you have one on you. You have one in your mask bag that's extra, right? So if you go on a call, you can switch it out. And then uh, you have one back at the house. So basically, if it goes in and it sees, it's exposed to any sort of IDLH or smoke, that hood's gone when you're done, right? It gets taken out of, out of service. You get a fresh, clean hood, which you should have it on, you know, with your stuff to be able to switch out on scene. So like, let's say you leave and do rehab and then you're going to go back and do overhaul. You would switch hoods on scene and then mm-hmm. you'd come back to the station and then you have a fresh one. So when you wash the other two and that's our rotation. So that was one yeah, of the things we were trying to really do. That's really smart. Yeah, that's, that's really smart. But I understand there are organizations that, you know, can't afford those things, but you know, you could still try to at least uh, implement those things uh, as best you can. Right. And, and absolutely. And, and it really goes back to making sure that you, you know, take care of your body, take care of, you know, your equipment, you know, just like you take care of your tools and, you know, your engine or your, your truck, make sure that, you know, you're always ready. And at the end of the day, you can't do your job without you. So yeah. you make sure that you're protected um, before anything else. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Andy Fredericks would, would say it's my saw, right? It's my saw. It's, it's your, it's your life. It's your body. It's your gear, right? You can do things. And take ownership of that in the same mentality. We're firefighters. That's what we do, right? Uh, what, so what, what's, what are some other prevention things? Like uh, on scene, what could you do? Uh, you know, back at the station, what are some other, you know, cancer prevention uh, routines that you can get into? 
Absolutely. So um, here in the state of Illinois, there's actually a Mavis program um, where you can get decon buckets for free through Mavis. Um, so you can receive these decon buckets. They come with like hose uh, attachments and, you know, nozzle and, you know, soap, a decon scrub brush and stuff like that. And uh, really every, every department should get into um, you know, doing some gross decon while on scene, you know, whether that's just spraying off your gear after a structure fire um, and really getting off most of those particulates as you possibly can. And, um, you know, I'm not a big proponent of uh, clean cabs myself just because I like to be ready when we go to a fire. But realistically, you know, when you're going home from a fire, you should be taking off your gear, putting it into a like a trash bag or something like that. Because if you bring that in, a lot of our you know cushions, they're all porous, you know, in, inside of the rig. So it just absorbs all those carcinogens. And then majority of the calls that we go on are EMS calls. So you're just you're sitting in all the carcinogens in your regular clothes at that point. You're not always wearing your turnout gear. So we have to be uh, cognizant of that. And then also when you're on scene, a really good thing that uh, we should be getting into, there was a study done um, you know, for overhaul, for instance, uh, that the stuff that's burning actually is off-gassing for three days after the fire. So it, it should be, you know, we should be wearing our masks a lot longer, if not the whole time that we're there doing overhaul, cleaning things out, salvage, all that, all that type of stuff. Uh, we should realistically be wearing our air masks. Yeah. I mean, even if there's no, uh, I know a lot of departments, mine, uh, but, but more so than mine, the policies are just based on CO parts per million, right? It's, exactly. it's not based on anything else. So for us, it's 50 parts per million or 30 with visible smoke. And like, that's, that doesn't cover what you're talking about, off-gassing, things that you can't detect, particulates, like you're not monitoring for any of that stuff. And, uh, we showed up to the party. We might as well use the stuff that you brought, right? Well, you know, mm -hmm. wearing your air pack, is it really a hindrance for you to pull ceiling and wear an air pack? It's a mindset shift that people have to have, right? And uh, there's value to it. And it's an immeasurable thing, right? You can't, uh, you can't measure uh, what, what's going on. With what we have. With what yeah. we have, right? Your yeah. basic CO monitor or, or your four gas or five gas, it's not going to pick up what, what we're concerned about, right? Exactly. It's, it's, it, it only picks up flammable ranges. So, you know, it might detect that there's something there, but it, it only tells you the flammable, flammable range of that item. So, you know, you could be inhaling a lot of bad stuff still. Yeah. Uh, what do you, um, what are some recommendations then? So, so, uh, come out, right. You, 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 you did your fun stuff. You, you put the fire out. Now, now we're going to come out, we're going to start cleaning up. We're going to do some overhaul maybe, start packing up heading home, right? You mentioned the trash bags. What are some other things that you can do on scene? Um, yeah, so just on scene, you know, it's it's really big to do that gross decon. Um, and, you know, just taking care of your guys, rotating each other out, you know, making sure you go to rehab and get evaluated. Um, and then uh, also, you know, they, they have face wipes in those Mavis buckets. You you know, you can use those face wipes to make sure you try and get as much soot and everything off your face because uh, the studies are showing um, that that rubbing area, like right along your cheeks and kind of along your jaw, um, it doesn't basically how because you're sweating and, you know, soot and everything still gets underneath your mask. That's it's being absorbed in through your cheeks and through your, your chin. And I can't tell you, you know, every fire that I've ever been to, I'm still, 
you know, even though I'm wearing my air mask, I still got black stuff coming out of my nose. So just making sure you're cleaning up after yourself, you know, using those face wipes, uh, use them on your hands and uh, your wrists. Um, and then when you get back to the station, uh, you know, keep those change of quarters companies for a little bit longer. Um, make sure you take a shower, uh, do uh, your decon, cleaning your hose and all that stuff. I understand um, depending on, you know, what everybody's got going on. Maybe it's not possible to keep those change of quarters companies as long as, as you would like, but um, try and keep them just a tad bit longer. Make sure that uh, you're able to get put your guys back in service um, as well as putting uh, your tools and everything else uh, back in service. Yeah, I mean, what's ironic about that is I, uh, COVID came through, right? And we had all these policies, and uh, uh, one of ours was if you were exposed to a COVID patient, you'd come back and you'd be out of service and you'd shower. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's far-fetched for uh, you know an administration to understand that you know that you come back from a fire, the guy's got to clean up, they got to shower, they got to get back in service, and they got to take care of it sooner than later, right? So that exposure is 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 gone and uh, or not gone, but you know what I mean. You're mitigating yeah, absolutely. it as best yeah. you can. Uh, do you guys uh, you do two two sets of gear? Do you guys do that or no? Uh, we do not, not where uh, I work currently, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something that we're pushing for. Um, you know, I, I do think that's a a good idea Um, that we have talked about getting like a set of like small, medium and large gear. So it's not, um, not, not necessarily sized to you specifically, but at least it's a set of gear that you can throw on in the meantime while your gear is being washed. Yeah, uh, man, I feel I'm I'm very fortunate. We're we're pretty uh, fo- forward thinking. Uh, with we have two sets of gear. They just started. Uh, where we use Lion, and they have that red line, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with that that style of turnout gear. But all the Velcro is red, and so basically, mm-hmm. if you were to see red, you would know uh, that they weren't buttoned up, you know, all the way to help prevent some of that exposure. Uh, you ever, are, are you like a winter sports guy? I am, yeah. So you know how like a snowboarding or, or, or ice fishing coats got that little like skirt on the inside with the elastic? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what our coats have too. And it's to prevent stuff from coming up, uh, into your, into your coat from underneath. That's really cool. So yeah. a lot of guys, I will say a lot of guys hate that coat and I don't know why it's an athletic <laughs> well, cut. Well, I'll tell you based but, on like a snow you know jacket, you know, it's not the most you know, you got that elastic around you and it's not going to feel that great, but you know, I'd rather have, you know, that, that's the point of wearing it when you're out snowboarding. So you don't get the cold and everything up there. It's this, it's the same thing with, you know, this uh, soot and smoke and everything getting up there. You know, it, I, I can see why that'd be beneficial. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, and I'm not sponsored by Lion or anything, but I actually, I actually really, I, I like it. I think I'm one of the very few that likes it's So it's a tighter athletic cut and that's the reason it's supposed to stop uh, you know, the extra, as much as it can, it's supposed to stop in, in places like your cuff, your neck, up on your waist, your boots, it's the same thing. There's an elastic thing that goes around your boots as well. Uh, it's some pretty interesting gear, for sure. Well, and it's a lot tighter, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's definitely something to check out. And I don't I don't think it's, ex- I mean, it's exclusive to Lion, but I'm pretty sure that there's other manufacturers that are doing things like that now. Uh in an attempt to be smarter about it. Yeah, I mean, patents only last so long, right? So everybody right. steals from each other, you know, yeah. eventually. <laughs> yeah, they, come on. Nobody owns anything in the fire service anymore. You make it, you paint it black over red, you put diamond plate on it, and then everyone else makes the same thing. That's pretty much the progression of fire service inventions <laughs> almost every time. So uh, 
Well, I, I really, I, I really appreciate all the talk about uh, your, your, your foundation that you're part of, uh, some of these little hints and, and tips for, for cancer prevention. And, and uh, yeah, I just got one last thing. Uh, so back at the fire station, uh, so the IARC actually just re- reclassified firefighting as a class one carcinogenic profession. Basically, what that means is that um, we're ranked is the same as a coal miner now. Because of the different carcinogens that we get exposed to. So um, basically what that means is if you get diagnosed with cancer, it went from maybe you got it from the job to uh, you probably got it from the job. So because of that classification allows uh, different things to happen. And um, actually the second leading cause of uh, getting cancer within the fire service is actually diesel exhaust. And what is you know, right next to our living quarters is our bays with all those vehicles. So um, we've been promoting uh, for the last few years now of any type of ventilation system within the bays, whether it's a PlymaVent or a MagnaGrip or um, any type of those ventilation systems to make sure that we're not tracking in, well, A, you know, the mufflers and everything are pushing it onto our gears because our gear racks are right there. And they're folded up. So in that groin area, that's where all the diesel exhaust and everything's collecting. And then B, you know, you're in and out, you know, of the bays and all the time. So you have diesel exhaust and whatever else is particulates are floating in the air that could be tracked into where we sleep, where we eat, um, you know, on the tables that we eat from. So uh, it's, it's really important to make sure that we're, you know, ejecting that diesel exhaust properly. Yeah. Uh, what um, do you know? And I, I hate to put you on the spot. Uh, do you know with uh, diesel exhaust uh, fluid? I know that that's becoming more commonplace, I think, for um, uh, apparatus or really just big trucks in general, right? Do you know if there's uh, a correlation of either that being an accelerant or deterrent, I think, for the exhaust in terms of, like, uh, carcinogens and that kind of uh, nature on your gear? Do you know anything well, about that? I'm just so, asking. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know the statistics um, personally, and I don't have them in front of me. Yeah. But I do know uh, the fact that um, anytime that you're burning something, you're giving off, you know, the unburnt combustion of whatever you're burning. So, I mean, you might be able to mask it with death fluid or whatever else that might be, you know, invented, whether it's like a no smoke system where it's like a reburning of the smoke or diesel exhaust or whatever. Um, they never come out to be zero. So that's why um, it's a, we're a proponent of the ventilation systems because then you're, you don't have that problem. You're essentially uh, sucking it in, pushing it all out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know I've, I've definitely heard uh, it'd be an interesting myth to get busted because I've heard people say things like, well, it's diesel exhaust fluid. It's not going to it's not going to do anything. And I, I've never really thought that that made much sense. It's still exhaust. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm sure it does something, but you're not rolling coal anymore. Right. No, <laughs> but <laughs> there's still something out there. Yeah. I, like, I, I just feel that whenever you're burning something, whether it's natural gas, uh, diesel, gasoline, whatever it is, um, you're, if, if it's coming out of a muffler, it's probably not the greatest, you know, you know, to breathe in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're not done, right? We're going to segue and, and talk about more things. What I would, I'd really like, again, I'm going to say it one more time, uh, shield23foundation.org. I've got it pinned in the chat. If you're listening later, Check it out, donate, 
support, whatever you can do to help, help even just expose, right? Even uh, let people understand that, that you guys exist and that, that what you guys do, uh, share it, please, uh, get it out there. Uh, and what they, what they do is really incredible and they help a lot of people. So, uh, that being said, if you have any questions for Ryan, uh, Put them, put them in the chat if you really have anything else on, on Shield 23. We're going to keep talking about other things because, uh, you know, you're a fireman. <laughs> and that's what we do. We talk fire stuff. We're going to talk some shop here. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of jump into that. So um, one of the things I, I, I love asking questions about, and it's something that I wouldn't say I necessarily struggle with, but it's, it's there and exists. And that's about being a multi-generational firefighter. And what that kind of uh, brings to the table in terms of uh, uh, how you conduct yourself, how you act, um, and and obviously your story is on a whole other level, you know, because you know of your dad's legacy and and you know what you guys went through. But just just talk through a little bit about what it means to be a second generation firefighter for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, my dad instilled those traditional values uh, very early on. Uh, and actually, my dad and I never got to talk about the fire service at all because, uh, you know, I was 14 when my dad passed away. Uh, so I'll, I'll still remember this. I remember having a conversation with my mom and my grandpa, and it, I was about to have my very first shift as a firefighter, or maybe it was before the academy. And I'm like, what pants? do I wear? What boots do I, do I put on? I have no idea. You know, I should know these things because my dad was in the fire service, but we never really got to have those conversations. But, um, you know, I hear, you know, stories of my father, you know, being, you know, at this fire or, you know, he was a, he was a good medic or he was really good at IVs or he was just a funny dude at the firehouse. So, you know, it was, it, I have that aspect, but as far as, um, being able to connect, with a, you know, a second generation, whether it's calls or being able to kind of vent and do things. I, I never really had that aspect of yeah. you know, being the, the kid of a firefighter, but I'll tell you, it is a really, really cool thing being a firefighter when my dad was a firefighter, um, you know, and experiencing the same things that he probably experienced when he was young or, or even, you know, today as, you know, I've been around for 10 years. Yeah. Do you feel, uh, have you gotten the opportunity to maybe connect with uh, Gurney guys that, that worked with your dad and hear some stories and hear, and maybe, like, my dad didn't really necessarily talk directly about the job, right? Not, mm -hmm. and, and if, if you get a chance, the first episode I did was with him, and that was probably the most him and I have ever really talked, you know, about being a firefighter in that, in that regard and, and being just two firefighters talking and uh, I, I did, though, hear stories of him and things of like that from other firefighters when I'd be around the fire station or, you know, people that knew him. And uh, did, have you gotten opportunities like that? Yeah, especially growing up, uh, you know, I didn't have that mentor in my father. Um, so I really and really not knowing what the fire service was like, especially younger um, you know, making mistakes like a rookie would and should and, uh, you know, not really knowing the ins and outs of the fire service. Uh, Jim Pelletieri from uh, the Gurney Fire Department was a massive mentor for me. You know, I still call him like my uncle to this day. Um, and he not only is a great firefighter and, you know, great mentor and uh, is now a battalion chief and, uh, you know, has been, you know, he, 
in charge of uh, maydays and how to conduct yourself and teaches at uh, FDIC and, you know, just a great all around guy. Um, but he also was able to sit down with me on just kind of like almost like a father son level and be like, hey, you know, your dad passed. He was my best friend, too. Let's get through this together. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. And, and Pellet's awesome. I, I've only met him a handful of times. I actually skated. He, he played hockey. We had a men's <laughs> league team and he skated with us oh, yeah? for a little bit. And yeah, uh, he's. Yeah, awesome guy. Uh, I've never gotten to have a real cool conversation with him. But man, how powerful is that? I it, it's mm-hmm. that's the one thing I think I I've been learning that we speak the same language, right? A lot of people that that have been you know grown up with it and and were front loaded those values speak the same language, and uh, people that found the fire service by other means are learning the language at the same time right so it's almost like a broken english kind of thing and Mm -hmm. um the i've i've found value now that i've been afforded a benefit by being around that stuff early and i'm learning that i think we need to share that those values more now in the fire service the state of it right now people need to share those traditional values exponentially more than we ever did before uh, because it's very easy to become disconnected to each other. We were kind of talking before, uh, you know, um, that, that it's, it's be, it becomes difficult. We become disconnected from the job sometimes with, with everything that happens in our lives. And, uh, you know, people that get it, that understand what we're supposed to be, uh, have got to be the ambassadors for, for keeping that alive, right, keeping those values I, the values that your father has, right? And and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, our slogan for our foundation is for family and brotherhood, and that's actually on my dad's gravestone. So he used to say it all the time, and uh, you know, family and brotherhood are you know extremely important. If you can't uh, really work with the guys that you work with, then you know, I I personally believe that you should be able to hang out with you know the guys outside of the you know firehouse. You know, it's extremely important to. We almost need to kind of off gas ourselves sometimes when we when we go on a bad call or, you know, maybe we're just exhausted. We worked, you know, we had six calls at like from 10 on, uh, 10 p.m. on through the morning and all through the night. You know, sometimes you just need a guy to be able to just lean up against and be like, "Hey, man, like we're running through this together," and you know, we have jokes back and forth, and you know, just rely on each other, and you know, we should be able to rely on each other's families as well. Um, you know, cause the wives, they all know exactly what they're going through too. you know, when there's a, when their husband is gone for 24 hours, you know, they're going through the same thing as well. So everybody's going through very, very similar circumstances. And we understand that kind of life gets in the way sometimes, you know, maybe, you know, there's death in the family or, um, you know, something's wrong with the house or, you know, but we should all be there for each other. I think that family and brotherhood, uh, is extremely important for especially what we do and what we go through and what we experience. Have uh, how, how long have you been? You're, so you're going to get married. You said next year, right? So you're That's correct, right yeah. now. Which mm-hmm. congratulations, by the way. It's, it's awesome. You. And uh, uh, how long have you two been dating? Uh, it'll be actually four years tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How's that for small world? Anyway, uh, so have you? Have you guys talked a lot about, I mean, she's been with you for four years now, so I'm sure she's, mm-hmm. she's into the fold. She gets maybe some of the fire service stuff, but uh, uh, 
how have you how have you had those conversations? Have you navigated some of those things? Right? Where where is, does she come from? A public safety or public service background? Or is she no, a- not at all. Her family uh, comes from a very business oriented uh, background. Um, so that's mainly you know nine to five, eight to eight to four. You know they're home every night, able to kind of decompress as a family. And uh, I think it was a, a tough transition for both of us. Uh, me, you know, having a serious girlfriend. Um, that relies on me and then her not having somebody there for, you know, 24 hours. And, you know, and I had already been in the fire service for six years, but um, this was like the first time that I had a serious relationship. And it, it, it can be tough sometimes, especially when you're gone or, you know, you're up all night and, you know, you're at, something was planned the next day and you're just, you, you're exhausted and you can't necessarily, you're dragging ass. You can't, you can't do anything the next day. And, uh, you know, it can be tough, especially if you're planning stuff. So, um, Lauren's been a rock star. Uh, she's, she's really learned a lot. And, uh, you know, my mom definitely helping out with, uh, in the beginning with kind of identifying what could go wrong and what (laughs) probably has gone wrong. And, uh, just now we're just really there for each other and, uh, we have a great relationship. So very, very fortunate. Uh, my wife comes same same thing. Well, the only I guess advantage was both of my wife's parents were uh, in hospitality, so they were used to living a life of you know working holidays, working weird hours, and those kinds of things. So her transition into the fire service world uh, wasn't quite so harsh, right? My father-in-law still works nine to five, but like you know, my mother-in-law was uh, she was a chef, and she is a chef. I mean, you don't stop being a chef, but you know what I mean. Like so, so those I mean, people go to restaurants not when, you know, not nine to five, like they're, you know, yeah, going out exactly. to dinner at a certain time. So like, uh, it was, uh, it was interesting to see her kind of equate that lifestyle to our lifestyle in a way. But, uh, I realized, uh, and, and she's going to come on actually my next episode, but, um, those conversations early on in a relationship, uh, to kind of establish, Hey, this is what it's like. And, and it's, it's, it's a challenge for you as well as it is for me you know, being at work. And uh, I'm just curious. Yeah, I was just curious how you guys. Yeah, and I I definitely think that communication is is definitely key. And I definitely lacked that uh, for a long time growing up. I I didn't know how to, you know, express, you know, that I just really liked my job. And uh, this this is just how it's going to be, you know, and, you know, that doesn't come out great (laughs) when when you say it like that. So, um, you know, just being able to tell because she had no idea what we do on a daily basis you know she just thought we you know what you see on tv you go there you sit around you drink maybe (laughs) you know what you you see on these you know chicago fire or whatever it is you know like like what do you actually do and then like it it gets easier to understand when uh you let her know that hey you know i I went on 15 calls today I'm, i'm a little i'm a little tired or you know I didn't go on a single call all day, but then, you know, I got, I had like two calls a night and I'm, it was a perfectly timed call. So I'm just a little, I'm just dragging today. I just need a, a little nap. Um, and a lot of those things, uh, are really important when it comes to communication. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I hit it, hit over the head again when we had kids and that changed everything again too. And like, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, we just had, uh, yesterday, um, uh, one of our, our senior guys retired and, uh, uh, big on family. I mean, huge. And, uh, uh, he got up and his speech was, uh, he, he talked to all of us. And the second half was, he taught us one more time how to hold two and a half. 
which was hysterical. <laughs> and it, to this day, I mean, Aaron, I love Aaron Fields, but Steve Norman, man, him in that two and a half, unreal. Uh, he's <laughs> the guy's a pro, and uh, but he he really, I mean, big on family and talked about you, we can't do what we do without them. Like there's there's absolutely no scenario. Right without a support system behind you and the sacrifices that your family makes too, and uh, I think the reason I was asking, you know, marriage and all that is is it's it's hard at first. You have to have those conversations before you get to that point, and and uh, it sounds like you guys are, are doing a great job of communicating in that, and and she's learned a lot. And well, we haven't gotten to the level of kids yet, so that's that's a hey, whole another tier on top of it. No <laughs> one's prepared for that. All right. <laughs> My God, it's it's a whole different animal. You think not sleeping at work's hard? Oh my God! <laughs> at least, well, actually, some patients are just screaming at you, but not like a kid. Oh my, you can't. Yeah, whatever. But either way, uh, that's a whole other awesome chapter. So, um, I think a lot of people in the fire service they're they're looking for belongingness. They're they're looking for culture. They're 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 right trying to establish those things. Uh, and I think sometimes that search pulls away your passion for the job. What brought you here? Have you, has that ever happened to you? Uh, well, actually, let me, let me kind of reverse that uh, for my beginning portion. So I was, you know, obviously pretty depressed when my dad passed away. And it was kind of the fire service that helped me out through all that. Um, so it, that's what drawed me to the fire service to begin with was that family aspect. Now, as I've gotten a little older and, you know, I've been in the fire service for a little while now, not, not a long time by any means, but, you know, a little while, um, you know, it, it can kind of drain on you, especially with, it, I almost want to say the modern day fire service, because my dad's generation of the fire service was very different than our generation of the fire service when it comes to family values, getting together. Um, you know, I feel like that can kind of be lost in translation sometimes, um, but I feel like that's all department dependent. Uh, but I do feel like in general, we we're kind of losing that brotherhood and family aspect. And I feel like that's extremely important because that's that's what draws me to the fire service to begin with, yeah, you know. And uh, I definitely feel like uh, it's our responsibility moving forward um, to kind of change that. We should we should be getting together more often. We should be having fun with each other off duty. Um, you know, I, I think that the the individualized kind of competitiveness doesn't necessarily need to be there. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's there, there's always going to be competition. I mean, we all come probably from a team sport background. That's that's what the fire service really is. There should be competitiveness. Otherwise, how do you get better? But um, we should be able to have a beer when our shift is over or, you know, go to breakfast and actually hang out with each other and have a good time. So would you say that that's probably the step one, you know, there's a lot of steps to do that, but uh, right. That's probably a, a, what you would theorize as a way to encourage that family behavior starting to come back is, is little things like that. Yeah. I, I think it's just small little baby steps, you know uh, you know, that's what happened when, you know, when I was young at Gurney, like I said, all, you know, all of our families would hang out together. The kids would hang out. They'd be friends. Um, you know, the firefighters would all drink and have a good time. The wives would all hang out. The wives didn't want to hang out with us because they're sick and tired of us. They want to hang out with their friends. So it, it was just, you know, it was a really cool experience. And I, I feel like there is a lack of that in today's fire service. I, I think that there's, you know, a small group, um, you know, small little pockets of people that do that. You know, there's almost like, you know, 
you know, like the, the common phrase is, you know, if you have multiple departments or multiple stations in your department, each each station is almost like a different department. Um, it's kind of like that still when it comes to family. And I feel like we all need to just kind of get back together and uh, enjoy each other's company, whether it's on the same shift or different shifts or what have you. At the end of the day, we're serving the same people and um, we have to work together. And I think that realistically, if we're in this job, we're all like minded anyway. Yeah, I mean. For the most part, yeah, we pretty much all. You're almost call, all called to the job for the same reason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or very similar reasons. Uh, so early in your career, you had mentioned uh, Pelletary. Were there any other people that, that influenced you early and set you off on the right path? Um. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, John Skillman was one of those people. Uh, he's like he's on the board. He's our treasurer. Um, just kind of identifying, um, you know, di- different aspects. Not necessarily doing your job. There's so much more to firefighting than just you know pulling hose and knocking in doors and stuff like that. Uh, there's so much more to do it. And I guess he brought that like battalion chief admin kind of side to it, uh, and kind of learning you know the backstory, whether it's you know, the union, how did the union get formed or, um, you know, whether it's admin, why does admin have, you know, a, you know, an idea of doing things a, a certain way, you know, identifying the reasons behind things rather than just kind of reacting. And um, that was that was a big thing that kind of resonated with me um, early in my career, because I had the 220, you know, that was that was me when I was young. I was I was a I guess Spitfire, I guess you could say, like I, I, I mouthed off a lot. And, you know, until I kind of had that conversation with Pelletieri too, um, they're just like, hey, you know, you're, you're just a firefighter. Learn why th- these decisions are being made and then you'll understand it a little bit better. And uh, that, that really changed my attitude on a lot of different things. Uh, understanding at the end of the day, everybody's trying to make things better. You're not going to be you know, in a position to go backwards, you know, and that, that's, that's kind of like the thing that, you know, everybody's like, what the hell is this guy doing? You know, but at the end of the day, he wants what's best for the department. You know, it might not be the right decision. We all make mistakes. You know, I make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. So, um, but at the end of the day, it's in good faith. You know, everybody needs to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, uh, Bobby Halton was, was, was big on, on speaking of those things. Uh, a couple of his keynote addresses really, really hit on that where, uh, you know, we're, we're all doing what we think is right in our hearts and minds. And you, and you Tanaka guy for that, you know, uh, is wrong on, on so many levels. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. that we're here for each other. And, and, it, and like you said, we're very competitive and I can't I, I didn't play team sports, but <laughs> <laughs> I played the saxophone. And I'm an anomaly out of this whole thing. And um, firefighting became my team sport. So in a way, like, it was fun mm-hmm. that I, I got to learn those things a little bit later in life. But I, I shared that Spitfire thing with you, too. Like, uh, uh, when, you, when, you're, when you're young and you kind of come in with a little bit of, hey, this is what we're supposed to be, it's sometimes hard to shut that off and, 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 and listen. And uh, it's, it's the burden of passion as you expect exactly. things to be. Perfect's probably the wrong word, but you expect a high level of of uh, professionalism, right? And when it doesn't happen, it's really easy to get fired up when when you set your standards so high. And 
Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. And I think some things that kind of keep me grounded, um, especially earlier in my career, is I watched a lot of like YouTube videos of other fire departments in different areas of the country. Um, One specifically that really resonates, actually two that really resonate with me are on YouTube. Uh, One of them is called East St. Louis Firefighter Struggle. Um, And you just really understand how really great we have it here in Lake County, Illinois. Um, You know, uh, these firefighters, you know, they barely had apparatus. Their station, you know, collapsed in on itself. Um, They've laid off a significant amount of firefighters and they go on a lot more trauma and, uh, you know, fires than we do, um, which we kind of wish we had. But um, and then another one is uh, the Highland Park uh, firefighter from uh, Detroit, Michigan. I forget. Um, I think that one was called like a year on my lid or something yep. like that. You're under my lid. Um, and that one was another phenomenal, um, you know, kind of interesting pathway of what the fire service could be like in um, in and around the country. And when I was in, uh, when I was at NIPSTA uh, during Courage to Be Safe uh, during the fire academy, uh, we were fortunate enough to have uh, Doogie McPherson come and speak. Um, I don't know if you remember him. He was in the documentary Burn. He was okay. the firefighter that was paralyzed from um, the waist down. Mm-hmm. And he came and talked about his experience within the fire service, um, you know, his path to trying to eventually walk again and his mistakes. And it was really, really cool to see because especially younger in my career, I held, I mean, I still do. I held firefighters to such a high standard. Um and it was it was really interesting seeing him, you know, in a wheelchair and talking about his mistakes that he made. And it was a really humbling experience because, you know, before that, I thought it was, you know, you bragged about, you know, what you did and, you know, this and that. And then I quickly realized that it's OK to make mistakes. If you make a mistake, talk about it, spread um, that information to as many other firefighters as you possibly can, because if you made a mistake and if you're injured or whatever, then you don't want any other other guy get injured and go through the same thing that you went through. Absolutely. Uh, another one, uh, I can't remember what year, it was very recent, uh, was Boyd Street, which was uh, LAFD. And, uh, oh, yes, that national, was unbelievable. Yeah, the National Firefighters Foundation put together a thing for that, and uh, it's it's worth a watch. It's an incredible story. Yeah, if you haven't seen that, that is unbelievable with the statistics and video cameras and everything that they had uh, behind it. You almost feel like you lived it, and you cannot believe the fire conditions that they were in. It was unbelievable. I mean, and that's that's. I mean, this the, this is probably fighting words for some people, but that's like that's America's trunk company. Like LAFD does roof ventilation probably almost better than anyone in the country, and they're doing it all the time. And uh, and they do everything right, and something still goes wrong. And and uh, that vid- I mean that video it was really well put together and and just totally humbling again just it, uh, keep keeping those things in your life and your career really keeps you on the right path keeps you with the right attitude and like you were saying perspective uh, the the Highland Park Michigan you know they were living out of a plywood trailer almost that was their fire station behind mm-hmm. like what it was like an abandoned warehouse right like there was so yeah many- yeah and then uh the guy that actually was interviewed uh he said it during his probationary year he and another guy lived in a tent outside for their first year because they weren't sure if they were going to make it or not yeah you know it's it's one of those things where you know layoffs and you know we're we're lucky 
that we haven't really experienced that up in this area. And, um, you know, those guys really went through a lot. And, and that just really shows the pride that they wanted to be firefighters. They went through <laughs> horrible conditions and they still made it. And uh, here they are today. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to knock our area completely, but I think our area, we've kind of become uh, ignorant to those things. And we forget what it's about, right? Because we're, we're, we're pretty well taken care of financially, uh, you know, beneficially. And I think we lose sight of some of those things, right? That, oh man, some guys do a lot with way worse. Uh, I, we were, my wife's from New Orleans and uh, there's a, there's a, uh, firehouse on what is it Frenchman Street and it's basically the corner of like a five-way intersection there's no way that this station they have to park rigs on the street because they can't put them inside and their really? living quarters is like maybe 400 square feet if that and like that's how they live and we've had people that complain about you know, like, oh my God, we don't have our own, we don't have our own room to sleep in at this station. So I got to hear everyone snore. Like, dude, <laughs> their truck is parked out on the street. Like, <laughs> like, come on, like, get some perspective, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and it, I, like you said, the the values of firemen, uh, we're 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 supposed to take the hits. We're supposed to be those things, right? That's what we do. That's who we are. Yeah, and I've, I've been uh, very fortunate that I found Wakanda, to be perfectly honest. And uh, I, I think I mentioned before I've worked, uh, Wakanda is the seventh fire department that I've worked for in the county. I started off volunteer and then I uh, was at a couple part-time departments to try and make ends meet. Eventually I made, uh, you know, the contract um, for Metro. Um, and then uh, I ended up going to Wakanda part-time and then eventually got hired full-time. And, um, it's been, it's been really, it's been great. It's been a blessing. Uh, I definitely feel like, um, you know, they're a bit closer, uh, fire department than any other fire department that I worked for other than the volunteer department I worked for. I feel like any volunteer department that those guys are extremely tight knit, but, um, you know, Wakanda has been good. You know, they try and get together at least twice a year with, uh, you know, getting all the families and stuff together at the firehouse, um, which is really, really nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And like you said, uh, it, it was a culture shock for me coming from volunteer into traditional uh, because, yeah, I mean, it was it, it, it's I guess it's easier because the volume of people that work for a part time department. So, you know, I have 40, I think, 45 members on Lake Zurich. Right. And there's clicks. Right. And, and that's how most fire departments are, right? There's there's groups that align their values together, mm -hmm. and those cliques kind of get bigger and smaller as time goes on. Uh, but it's a percentage, right? It's it's if you think of it that way, in a volunteer organization when you've got 150 members, the clique by percentage is still the same size, but that group is huge by comparison because of the volume of people. And uh, it was such a culture shock. You have to kind of go find those people where, uh, you know, both of us had a very similar path starting through volunteers, starting through, you know, paid on call and that kind of thing. And you could connect with 15 people like that because you all got it and you were on the same path. Once you kind of got into that traditional mm -hmm. place and everyone's there and they're where they wanted to be, uh, it's sometimes it's more challenging to find some of those people that you connect with along the way. And, uh, we can do a better job, I think, about that 
and uh, be more, I guess, more welcoming. I, I remember I asked my dad, and I'm sorry, I, I'm probably babbling, but uh, about feeling like I was on an island sometimes, right? And uh, and he was like, yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to live on the island, and you know, uh, like, but you got to have plenty of boat slips for people to visit, right? And yeah, like we have to kind of be that way, and I think that's the struggle when you're passionate, you don't always invite others. So um, I think that we will get there. I'm I'm really happy to hear that you guys are getting that and that you're yeah. having that yeah. environment. That's amazing. Yeah, we're, yeah, I, I definitely feel like uh, we're starting to have that, and uh, you know, we're starting to make a lot of really nice decisions with you know trying to get together a little bit more off duty and you know hanging out and actually enjoying each other's times because. I, it, you know, when you're only at the firehouse, you know, being pent up together and, you know, we're all essentially brothers and eventually brothers fight. <laughs> so sometimes it's okay to kind of let loose and meet each other outside and, uh, you know, just kind of relax and, you know, talk about other things other than the fire service. I mean, everybody has lives outside of the fire service, um, you know, whether you like video games or going hunting or whatever, you know, everybody's got, you know, people that they can hang out with, especially in the fire service. Yeah. I mean, when you're hanging out, like, you know, if you and the guys go to Top Golf, nobody's being like, oh, well, so-and-so didn't clean the bathroom in there. Like, what, that guy's a dickhead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there, yeah. there is none of that. Like, you're all just out having fun. And I think that that's one of the best ways for you to build uh, culture and camaraderie is get people outside and, and meet up where there is no high pressure. There's no, hey, you know what the hell? I got to do all the dishes or you're not cooking today. Like, nobody thinks about that stuff when you're hanging out. You're just and I do want to say Wakanda was actually great in including, um, you know, probationary firefighters. Oh, awesome. I did not necessarily have that at some of the other fire departments that I worked for when I was younger. Maybe it was probably my my own fault because I didn't understand some things. Uh, you know, when I, when I first started, but uh, Wakanda was. Uh, it seems like we're very include, uh, inclusive uh, to younger firemen, which is great to see that the fire service is kind of making that that turn. That's the norm, man. That's the way of the future in a good way, right? Mm -hmm. you, and and. and uh, our hiring issues, our our short lists, are making everyone really in administrative levels be like, oh my god, we got to be a place that people want to work. You always should have been a place that people <laughs> wanted to work. I guess that's the positive that comes from this is now people are really actively trying to to build those cultures. So again, isn't that unbelievable guys, though? When we were testing, oh. there was I remember specifically Glenview's test. There were like five or six hundred people crammed into the Glenbrook High School cafeteria, all taking the same tests. And I remember that they specifically said, we have no projected open spots for the next two years. And I'm like, there's 600 people here for no job. Yeah. <laughs> and then now you fast forward. I think we only have 14 on our list coming coming up. So we're probably going to have to retest um, in a year, depending on how many we hire. Um, so you know, the turnover is real high right now because, I mean, if you really think about it, you know, our fathers and, you know, all got hired uh, around the same time. It seemed like a lot of the fire departments around here went full time around the same time, 80s and 90s. And then it's just a cyclical cycle. You know, in the fire service, we work 20, 30 years and then we're done. So right now we're at that 20 and 30 year mark and it's just that cyclical cycle. We have new blood coming in. It's changing the culture and, um you know, I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, it can be a good and bad thing, but our, for some reason, our lists are a lot smaller than they used to be, which is, it's interesting. I will say, uh, the candidate 
quality candidates are for uh, for us. We've been hiring stud after stud after stud, and it's awesome. Like even though the lists are smaller, there's no like, eh, I don't know. Like yeah, okay, there's a couple people that fall through the cracks in there, but for the most part, uh, I mean, the people that are testing want to be firefighters. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not like ah, eh, whatever, I'll try it, or yeah, eh, whatever. Uh, Everybody that's showing up wants to be a firefighter. So, and I think my dad, if I remember correctly, he was saying, you know, because you know the recession in 2008, uh, you know, a lot of people got laid off, and you know, firefighting seemed like one of those steady jobs that you could do and get the paycheck and whatnot. So maybe that's where you saw that before. Um, you know, I could just be spitballing there, but um, you know, I remember him saying something like that, and that's where I think he kind of was drilling into me. Make sure that you give that 120%, make sure that you learn the job, be good at your job. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, if you're lazy on the fire ground where you're needed, you could either hurt yourself or somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So who, and it doesn't have to be someone you directly know, who would you say best personifies the American firefighter? Oh, um, That's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I mean, you could throw out, uh, you know, a few people, you know, there's, you know, um, gosh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, but, you know, Walton or even Jason Patton, uh, you know, a few of these, uh, you know, they're doing it in a different way. Yeah. Um, with with comedy, I feel like. But uh, with Patton specifically, he has his funny side and, you know, bring in kind of some interest in the fire service doing that stuff. And then he does his fire department coffee. Um, but I, I feel like he is one of the biggest um, advocates for mental health within the fire service. And he is a big proponent of peer support. And, you know, I've heard actually specifically from a firefighter that I know that contacted his foundation for mental health. He talked to him directly. Because that's just what he does. He he wants to be the face, and he lets you know that he was depressed and was suicidal and everything that he was going through. And it's really, really nice to see somebody open about something like that because there are guys out there um, with some mental health, um, you know, issues, I guess you could say. You know, we've all been through some stuff. We've all seen, you know, things that stick with us, you know, whether it's, you know, the five-year-old that I did, you know, CPR on or, you know, you know, really bad car accident or, or, you know, you always have, you know, things that you can reference, you know, quickly whenever somebody says that. And, um, you know, it wears on everybody um, differently. But to have somebody that, um, I guess, popular and, um, you know, he seems like a funny guy and, you know, doesn't seem like anything could happen to him just because he's so outgoing and, you know, bubbly, that for him to be so open about, you know, mental health and, you know, say, hey, I will talk to you personally. Like, I've been through this. I will help you instead of just sending you off to some shrink or something like that. He he wants to help you out personally. And um, unfortunately, there's been a, a, a large number of firefighters taking their lives um, in the United States. But even in our area, I want to say there's been five in the last few years. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing a better job. Like you said, uh, it's becoming normalized to have those conversations and to be open, not only, you know, about, you know, the fire ground and I made a mistake, 
but hey, I'm not all right. You know, that's becoming a normalized thing, I think, within the fire service. In the same way that, uh, you know, maybe our father's generation uh, would have supported guys through, like, I don't know, like divorce or something like that, right? Where that was probably more prevalent back then. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and not even a question, hey, we got you, brother. We'll take care of that stuff, right? Or uh, I experienced I was sick when I was 11, and everybody showed up, right? And, you know, the whole department, essentially, it felt like was there for me and our generation now I think is is recognizing that we need to be there for each other in a different way and that's those individual things right I'm not all right the uh, mental health part of it and, and it, it, we're, we're getting there for sure um so well horrible segue in here I'm <laughs> but uh currently you know we uh, uh, if you've listened to other people that have come on here and talked or, or even just in your own department, cause we all know that kitchen table talk, you know, is either really, really happy or it's really, really depressed. It's one way or the other. And it seems like, uh, you know, people are in a state in the fire service where we're depressed about it. And that we think that the end is near almost. And how would you, if you were to triage like the fire department or the fire service, the American fire service, right? Uh, what would you give it? So black would be that it's dead, red, it's it's you know dying, uh, yellow, you know it's it's injured, and then green, we're going strong, right? We we've got it going on. What, well, I don't necessarily think we're we're not we're not dead, we're not green. I guess you could say, you know, like when when people hear about you know the height of the fire service, you hear about like the 80s and you know the pride and ownership and really those guys are the forefathers, uh, you know, even before my dad's generation, you know, the generation before my dad, they were really what built the fire service to what it is today. And I think we're going through a transition from what that used to be to something new. And I think that something new is going to be really great. I think we're going to, um, I think that it's going to be good, whatever it is. We're, we're just going through a lot of growing pains. Uh, but it, by no means are we dead, and I don't, I don't think the fire service will ever be dead because we're a needed profession. And, um, you know, if, if anything, keep <laughs> piling more and more on top of us. You know, back in the day, back in the 80s, it was only firefighting. Uh, I don't think they did much hazmat back then, uh, let alone EMS. Um, so, and I think, I think we're becoming something different. Now, um, I remember there there was an email going around uh, about what could be changed within the fire service. It was was sent by the Lake County Fire Chiefs. They they were interested about, uh, you know, potentially making changes or if you liked things, you know, do you like your salary? Do you like the schedule? Um, And I think both of those both those answers are yes. I absolutely love the fire service schedule. I personally would hate if we switched to like a cop schedule, for instance, where you work midnights or you only work eight hours. You know, to have that 24 hours is really beneficial in my mind. And then you have two days off. You have one day to potentially recover if you need to recover. And then you have an entire another day where you can do whatever you want. And a lot of other professions don't necessarily have that. And I think it's uh, I think it's really, really important. So um, I, I, I definitely th- feel like there's a ch- there's change happening. I just don't know what 
it's going to lead towards, if that makes sense. I feel you. I really do think that we're right there. Uh, and, and all it's going to take is one flick of the domino and we're off and running. What do you think that domino is? Uh, what, what can we do to help as, as firefighters, as individuals at our own organizations, what can we do to kind of help keep that and, and make it positive, make the next or the future of the fire service, make it a positive thing? Well, I mean, I guess like the old saying that, you know, change is hard and within the fire service, you know, they always want change, but once change happens, they hate it or whatever that statement is. Yeah, I forget I exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, we just have to be, uh, we have to be there for each other. You know, first thing, you know, first things first, you know, just like how, you know, the fire service was there for me and my family when we were down and, uh, you know, you know, I was hurt or, you know, everybody kind of came together and um, we, we just need more of that. Instead of it being a sad time, let's just do it for the sake of being together. And I feel like that will really change, um, you know, the way that certain people think about coming to work and, uh, you know, not necessarily talking to guys or whatever. You know, we should we should be happy to go to work. It's a great job. I love this job. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh, I love it. Togetherness. Basically, exactly. Right. That that, yeah, that solves for everything. For love of uh, family and brotherhood. Bingo. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. So I I uh, I don't I started I started this whole thing trying to to seek how to stay energized over long term and and so that, you know this last question kind of ties into that but uh you know what, what would be uh, what would you think is the most important element you know to kind of end your career as positively as it began right. What's something that you have to keep consistently over the course? And I know we're both in the same time period and, and our end is decades away. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> early in your career, what are some things you've noticed or picked up from others or, or that you, you know, feel yourself makes the most sense? Um, honestly, I think that the, and it, it sounds extremely easy and people kind of forget about it is, you know, taking care of your body, whether that's working out or whatever. Um, you know, I've seen firefighters uh, towards the end of their career that, you know, are limping and can barely walk. And, you know, you can tell they're just strained and it, like, I want to be able to retire and retire, retire healthy. We as firefighters get to retire relatively early compared to, you know, the rest of the general population. And we should be able to enjoy that time when we retire. So just taking care of your body, whether, you know, that's working out or going to PT. I mean, I, I've, I've started to notice within myself, I stopped working out for a period of time. Um, I just out of pure laziness is what it really came out to when it came down to. And um, I'm starting to feel the after effects from that, you know, whether it's, you know, sore joints or, you know, hurting myself on things that I really shouldn't be hurting myself on. It's just a standard lift or whatever it is. Um, you know, whereas earlier in my career, I, I focused on working. I was big into working out when I first started. And when we worked in Antioch together, I was, I was down in the gym all the time with Orion and a few of those other guys. Oh yeah. The and, head crew. <laughs> that's right. I was there, man. I feel you. Or what was it? Bro tanks. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember. So, you know, I, I kind of lost that and I'm starting to realize the effects of not doing those same things anymore and I'm feeling it in my shoulders and, you know, and a lot of the joints and my back tightness. And there's, there's obvious ways to fix that. I just need to make my, make the steps towards that. And I think that um, I feel like that's kind of a generalized problem within the fire service. We are really good when we're young, 
But then we reach that 10 to 15 to 20 year mark and we're like, ah, you know, like I've been doing this long enough. I can, I can, you know, it's like second nature to me. And then you realize, you know, a few years, your, your muscles start to atrophy and uh, you're not as good as you were doing things as you used to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Keeping up. It's like a, uh, what is uh, like discipline, right? Pretty much having the mm-hmm. discipline to keep up with things. Uh, cool. Well, uh, I'll I'll kind of transition into the end here. I want to give one last opportunity, and there is a delay uh, with our chat. So, if there's anything else you got for Ryan, otherwise I'm going to kind of roll into you know the end here of of our chat, which I've really enjoyed. Uh, thank you again for for coming and and sharing Shield 23, right, and and sharing your story and uh, you know just chatting with me because you know. It's a good time anyway. I enjoy it. <laughs> I, no, seriously, I really appreciate you letting us uh, come on this on this platform and letting you or let me kind of tell my story about how I started and why the foundation started. Because I feel like uh, you can only read so much on you know our website, and to hear a personal aspect of the story, um, it kind of drives home a little bit more than just reading you know something that you see because you kind of put a face behind you know what is out there and what could happen. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like more people need to kind of understand that cancer is, is out there. So, and we all need to help each other. And, you know, my foundation is a way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Uh, if, if anyone wanted to get a hold, so we've got your website up here. If anybody wanted to get a hold of you personally, how could they do that? Uh, if they wanted to get a hold of me personally, uh, I'm in charge of all of our social media. So if on our Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, anything like that, you can direct message um, and ask specific questions. Or you can email us at awareness at uh, shield23foundation.org. Um, and uh, either myself or uh, one of our board member board members will be able to direct it to me. And I can uh, you know answer any questions that you have. Awesome. Cool. Thank you for listening. Check us out on OutlierFirefighters.com, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Remember, excellence may be a rarity, but you are not alone.